0: Welcome to the connect church podcast our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with god you can connect with god and we can help Morning Connect. It is so good to be with you all. You know, I uh, have been excited to share this message in particular ever since I wrote it a couple weeks ago. And it became all the more timely in the last couple of days as the Supreme Court ruled what it ruled. And our country is sorting that through yet again. And as I kind of move into this message, I just kind of want to set the stage for you so you have a little bit of understanding of where I'm coming from. You see, I actually, I didn't grow up here, I grew up in Maine, which if you don't know much about Maine, it's a rather liberal state historically. And when I was there, what I found, really, you're gonna see this pattern throughout my life as I kind of share my story in a a kind of an odd way. Um, The people around me have always had this disdain for our president, okay? So in my growing up years, middle school, high school, went to public school and the teachers and my peers, they just railed against George W. Bush. Then, graduate high school, I move out here for college, went to a small, private, conservative college, which was definitely politically inclined, and they, they did not hold back about that at all. And what I found is that there too, my professors, my peers were rather vocal about their disapproval with Barack Obama. Well then, we move back to Maine. I'm, I'm now married. Amanda and I are living in Maine for the 2016 election. Which, the people around me were irate when Donald Trump was elected as the 45th President of the United States. And then we move back to Colorado. And we're living right here in conservative Douglas County for 2020. And we all remember the 2020 election. And when Joe Biden was elected, some, rightly or wrongly so, totally denied it, and others just disapproved of it, were disgruntled about it. You see, as as long as I can remember, the people around me have had a disdain for our president, but it's not just the president. It's his administration and the policies they institute. It's Congress, it's too blue, it's too red, or it's the Supreme Court who was appointed what they ruled. And it's not just at a national level that we have this struggle, this frustration with our governing authorities. It's also at the state and local level, too. It it could be our governor, our mayor, city officials. We're pretty good at complaining about them because of whatever they've done, whatever they've ruled, whatever regulations they've put upon us, they have our undies in a bunch. We're good at complaining about it. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before. We used to use this to buy things, back when it was worth something. Uh, Right here it says we live in the United States of America. Why is it that it feels a lot more like the divided states of America? I'm not like a social psychologist, I'm just an American citizen who has endured the last couple of years just like you've endured the last couple of years. And from my humble opinion, I think what divides us is our ideology. And it, whether it's you know, blue or red, mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, pro-choice, pro-life, uh, pick your issue, any issue. And it is our ideology around that issue that is dividing us as a people. And it's because our ideology has crowded out any sense of honor. We think, I can't associate with them. They voted for him. How dumb do you have to be to believe what they believe? Don't they know the facts? Our ideologies are actually fueled by dishonor. And because of this, we're feeling the division. Now, I wish I could, I could stand up here and just you know say, way to go, like as an American church, the last couple of years we just lovingly led through and, and people look at the church now and they have, a, they have a higher view of Jesus because of how we conducted ourselves. I wish I could do that. But the reality is for us Christians, just like non-Christians, We're often known not for our theology, which supposedly unites us. We're known for our ideology. Blue or red. Mask, no mask. Vaccine, no vaccine. Pro-choice, pro-life. Again, pick your issue. Could it be because our ideology has superseded our theology in the importance, the prominence that it plays in our life? Because for us Christians, this isn't ultimately about a donkey or an elephant. It's about the lamb. Jesus, the lamb of God who died for our freedom. He didn't lead a political revolution. He laid his life down so that we could be free. Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. The one that we say we worship above all. So here's what happens. When we lose sight of our king, the king of kings, what we end up doing is we also lose sight of who's right in front of us. We don't treat them how we want to be treated any longer. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can't lose sight of Jesus, and we can't lose sight of the people right in front of us, around us. Now, what does this mean? What does it look like? I'm just gonna be really forthright with you. It is hard. For some of us, it's gonna be really hard because our ideology has taken on such a prominence in our life that that maybe we put country before God. But if we're followers of Jesus, Jesus comes first. He is our ultimate king. And if we follow him, then we need to do what Paul said next in Romans. We've been going through Romans for some time now, and today we're gonna to be in Romans chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. We've also got free Bibles in the back. You can follow along in our church app as well. We've been in this good news series for a while because we need good news after surviving what we've survived the last couple of years. And what we're discovering is that Jesus is the good news, the good news that trumps all the other good news is that we'd like. Because he is he's our savior and he's our solution. Jesus is our hope and our help. And if we follow him, then our theology, what we believe about God has to supersede our ideology. And it needs to be felt in the way we live our lives. So we're going to talk more on that in just a moment. But first, let's pray. Let's ask God to be the one that speaks to us through his word, through this message, and then we'll dive right in. God, we come before you and we ask just that. Would you please speak? We thank you for the country that we live in. Would you help us to live as citizens in this country in a way that honors you and honors others? This is hard. It's hard. when. People we didn't elect are in office, and sometimes it's even hard when the people we elected are in office. But Lord, would you help us? Would your spirit help us towards this end? And would you speak to us? Would you teach us now what this looks like? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, picking up in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Okay, it would be a whole lot easier if Paul wrote something like, let everyone be subject to the governing authority you voted for, but he didn't. What Paul actually wrote was this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established the authorities that exist have been established by God now the reason Paul didn't specify who we should honor and, and respect and and who we shouldn't because all governing authorities all authorities have been placed in their position by God now that's hard for us to hear when our candidates not in office but imagine what it would have been like for Paul's original audience, the Romans. You see, their governing leader wasn't Trump, wasn't Biden. Their governing leader was Nero. Nero, who killed Christians as sport. Nero was their governing leader. And here Paul is saying, you've got to submit to governing leaders. Now, why, why Nero or why others would be appointed to this position I don't quite understand honestly it's beyond my pay grade it's a question I can't wait to ask God one day like why Nero why Hitler why Stalin why were they given the right to rule it baffles me and yet what we have to accept it's a hard truth to accept it's an even harder one to live it's this honoring governing authorities has very little to do with their ideology has everything to do with our theology you see because we follow jesus because we look to his word to guide our way we have to follow him and that's hard sometimes scripture never said that following jesus was going to be easy but it scripture is very clear that following jesus is worth it and one of the ways that we do this is we actually honor god when we honor those who are in authority in our lives now, when establishing governing authorities, Paul explains what God's intent was. And I think that's helpful for us to understand. Listen to this, verses 3 and following. For, the, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong, uh, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. He continues, This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. God's intent for governing authorities is that they would serve him as they serve their citizens. Now, that's a good intent. That's a noble intent. But you and I both know that while that's a good intent the impact of sinful men and women in leadership is far from that far from that and they're going to be held accountable for their sin as we're going to be held accountable for ours which is why we all need jesus and we need jesus not as like a political pawn to be played to win votes no we need jesus who is king of kings and lord of lords we need that jesus and we need to follow him now at their at their best governing authorities will do what god placed them in the position to do they'll rule justly and they'll help us live upright lives but what happens when they don't you know when when do we not have to honor our governing authorities when do we not have to do what they say because that's really what we're all wondering honoring is hard so we want to know what's the loophole so i can get out of it and in scripture does reveal what that would look like. And here, here are just three like, case studies from the book of Daniel, okay? The time the Israelites are in exile, they're not in their own land, they're not ruled by their own leaders, they're ruled by a foreign nation, the Babylonians. And they're there, and Daniel, the book of Daniel, opens up with King Nebuchadnezzar wanting to enculturate some of these Israelite young men with the Babylonian ways so that he, they can serve in his court. All right, And one of the things that they had to do was eat certain food, food that was contrary to what God instructed his people to eat. All right, But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah go to the chief official who is instructing them that they have to eat this food as commanded by the king. They, they go to him and say, hey, we're not going to do that for this period of time because God has told us not to. And is that okay? Like, if we come out stronger than the rest, is that okay? Well, the chief official says, sure, go for it. And by God's grace, these four guys are healthier, they're stronger, they're better off than the rest who ate the Babylonian food. So, God gets the glory. You you flip over a couple chapters. In Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar is still ruling, and at this point, he has now made a gold statue of himself. He doesn't have a pride problem, but he just made this statue of himself and instructs everyone everywhere to bow down and worship him, worship the statue, when the music plays. Well, the music plays, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who you may better recognize by their Babylonian names at this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you went to Sunday school growing up, they don't bow down when the music plays and it's pretty obvious when everyone else is bowing down and they're still standing so the king brings them in questions them and then has them thrown into a fiery furnace but god saves them and king nebuchadnezzar praises god as a result well one more story this one again about daniel fast forward a little bit for more in history now king darius is the, is the ruler in babylon and Daniel is one of his high-up officials, okay? He's doing a good job. He's knocking out of the park, and the other officials recognize that King Darius favors Daniel. So they decide, you know what? Here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to kind of concoct this plan to catch Daniel worshiping his God. It's the only way we're going to be able to oust him. So they convince the king, hey, for the next 30 days, if anyone prays to anyone except you, you should just throw them into a den of lions. The king agrees. So Daniel, being a good, faithful Jew, continues to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Now the officials knew exactly when and where to catch Daniel with folded hands. So they did. They bring him before King Darius, King Darius is is thrown off by it. He he wishes he didn't have to throw him in a den of lions, but he has to follow through on his word, so he does. And at this point, you can probably guess it, God shows up and he saves Daniel. And the king tells people everywhere that we're gonna worship Daniel's God because he's the one true God. These are three case studies uh, when God's people were under foreign leaders as to what it would look like when, how someone should respond when, when the governing authority, when the leader, the king, is telling them to dishonor you know, God. And, and the, the principle is this, don't obey governing authorities when they require you to disobey God don't obey governing authorities when they require you to disobey god now when you you combine what we see in daniel with what we just read in romans we start to see the biblical principle here and the principle is this honor governing authorities to honor god unless the governing authorities require you to dishonor god this means that honoring governing authorities needs to be our default posture it also means We gotta pay our taxes. Like, sorry? Not sorry? Because Jesus talked about it. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But here's the thing. You don't have to be a Christian to pay your taxes, right? Even non-Christians pay their taxes because them, like us, if we don't pay our taxes, the IRS comes knocking. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to more. Not more taxes, praise God but more in this way. More than the money we owe, we have to give the authorities in our life the respect they're due. Can we just call it as it is? That's harder than paying taxes, isn't it? Respect is challenging because respect seeks to understand before seeking to be understood. Respect believes the best until proven wrong. Respect will even extend grace when they're wrong. Respect is hard. Again, Scripture never teaches that following Jesus is going to be easy, but it is clear that it is worth it. When it comes to Jesus, love is his primary ethic. And Paul reminds us and his original audience of this and what he says next. I mean, just listen to this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Take a moment and imagine with me a society, a community, where there's no adultery or sexual immorality, where there's no murder or mass shootings, there's no stealing or coveting or wanting what's not ours, that's the kind of world that Jesus wants. And that's why Jesus commanded, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Just a quick glance at Jesus' ministry, and we see that loving one's neighbor is even harder than we'd think. Love for neighbor means love for one's enemy love for the poor and the marginalized and love for the one whoever it is right in front of you now i gotta tell you uh, amanda and i dropped the ball hard on this one a couple years ago it was the summer of 2020 and when the mortgage interest rates dropped below three percent we're like we've got to refinance so we do it and the gal shows up she comes to our door and you know knocks on the door we open it up she's wearing a mask everyone was for their job in 2020 we welcome her in we sit down at our kitchen table and we start signing and signing and signing and signing all the papers and as our hands are cramping from all the autographs she's asking for we get to talking and we find out that she's not going back to college in the fall instead she's going to be a notary because she's helping provide for her family When we asked a little bit more, she shared that her mom had just died. We put down our pens and we looked across our kitchen table at her and said, how did your mom die? She said, she just passed of COVID. And a pit just formed in my stomach. Color drained from my face. I just looked down and I, it's like, wow, like that, she was not a statistic. Like this, that was someone's mom. This is her daughter. And their family is grieving right now. And I look back up, I recognize she's not wearing one mask. She's wearing two masks, one on top of another. Here Amanda and I are. And the, the comfortability of our own home, carefree, maskless. And here she is hurting. Why do we love? Why do we love the one in front of us? Because it's convenient? No we love because he first loved us and and what is seemingly small to us could make a world of difference to the one in front of us so the challenge for us today this week this month this year is to love the one in front of us as god through jesus loves us and you you, we think that we're going to change the world if we could change the mind of the person on the other side of the aisle from us I think Jesus is a little more concerned with us loving the one across the street as well as across the aisle. I've shared this story before. I shared it about a year ago, but it's so fitting, and it talks about our community here in the Denver area. I mean, just listen to this. This is Dave, and Runyon, Dave Runyon and Jay Pathick's story. They write this in The Art of Neighbor. I'm just going to read an account that they had because it captures what we're talking about and what Jesus is all about. They write this, in 2009, I, Dave, gathered a group of 20 lead pastors in the Denver area so we could think, dream, and pray about how our churches might join forces to serve our community. We invited our local mayor, Bob Fry, to join us, and we asked him a simple question. How can we as churches best work together to serve our city? Seems like a good question. The ensuing discussion revealed a laundry list of social problems similar to what many cities face, at-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderly shut-ins with no one to look in on them, the list went on and on. Then the mayor said something that inspired our joint church movement. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Later, he explained that often when people identify a problem, they come to civic officials and say something like, this is becoming a serious issue and you should start a program to address it. Fry shared candidly with us that in his opinion, government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. He went on to say that relationships are far more effective than programs because they're organic and ongoing the idea is that when neighbors are in relationship with one another the elderly shut in gets cared for by the person next door the at-risk kid gets mentored by a dad who lives on the block and so on after the mayor left the meeting that day our group of pastors was left to reflect on what he had shared i j remember sitting there. And before I could even think, just blurted out, am I the only one here who's a little bit embarrassed? I mean, here we were asking the mayor how we can best serve the city, and he basically tells us that it'd be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the great commandment. In a word, the mayor invited a room full of pastors to get their people to actually obey Jesus." You want to be a great citizen? Be a great neighbor. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be leading the way in this. We should live our life in such a way that the person in front of us, beside us, behind us, knows that we know Jesus and experiences His love expressed through our lives. So go love the one in front of you as God through Jesus loves you. And let's start with our neighbors this week. And I say this week because there is an urgency to our life, to our love in Christ. Paul put it this way as he wraps up chapter 13, picking up in verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't look like the world because we should be clothed with our Savior, clothed with Jesus Christ. When, when my neighbors look at me, they should see Christ in me. When your neighbors look at you, they should see Christ in you. In a world where people are looking to pick a fight, stir the pot, drag the opposing party through the mud, we're going to be a people who stand out because we don't argue, uh, we don't comment on the post and fuel that dumpster fire. We don't dishonor those in authority because, as we just read, God placed them there. In a world that wants to peg us as blue or red, our identity is not in our ideology, it is in our theology. And I cannot stress this enough. As followers of Jesus, our theology has to be more evident than our ideology Because if we truly claim Jesus is Lord, our theology is more prominent than our ideology. Now, practically speaking, this means a couple of things. It means that uh, we need to immerse ourselves in Scripture more than in the news. It means our relationship with God needs to influence our voting. And it means that whoever is in office, our default posture needs to be honor, not dishonor. Now, while our ideology divides us, our theology unites us. And our founding fathers, they knew this. And it's even represented on the back of our money, where it says, in God we trust. You see, when when we are united around what matters most, the world is going to know Jesus, too. They're going to know the true King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, Jesus talked to his father about it this way in John 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, talking about us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In a country that's divided, a church that's united is contagious, and it starts with honor. So honor God by honoring others. Let me pray for us. God, we need your help in this. We desperately need your help in this. We don't understand why everyone is given the authority that they, they have. We've experienced good leadership. We've experienced bad leadership. And we've all probably been guilty of both as well. So we would ask that you would move in us and help us to honor those in authority in our lives, our bosses, our governing leaders, pastors and others. Would you help us to honor them? And would you give them the strength in the wisdom and the humility myself 100% included, to do what you've called them to do. And may you be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name.